Welcome to this season two episode of the Me Sweet podcast. I'm your host, Donna Peters. I am a career coach for people who want a life, who want to live with what I call a Me Sweet mindset. Just like leaders in the C suite, we need to do three things well in our own personal lives. First, letting our personal core values guide our decisions. Second, keeping our day-to-day life running smoothly. And third, staying fresh and relevant for the future that we wish to have. Here, our guests balance the aspirational with the practical by sharing tips on what we can start doing differently on Monday to lead our lives with a me-sweet mindset. The number one thing I've learned is that people are amazing if you give them a chance to tell their unique stories. So let's get in there. today's episode of the Me Suite, we are going to have a discussion with Alan Slavic. Alan is the Chief Operating Officer at GRASP, and he is focusing his career on redefining mentoring, which I think is going to be extremely interesting for Me Suite listeners. I know mentoring is a very big part of most of our career lives. Alan is married with two boys. He is in a dual career family, married to a C-suite leader. He is interestingly a dual citizen with the U.S. and French passports. He has had a stint in improv. He is also a former college football player. So a real renaissance man, I would say. You have a variety of experiences. And what I think is really interesting about Alan for the Me Suite is his career focus in all things learning and education which you know I have a huge passion around because one of the remits for the Me Suite is helping people stay fresh and relevant for the future that they want to have. And I look forward to learning a lot from Alan. Welcome, Alan Slavic. So thank you so much for having me on the show today, this evening, whatever it is, I guess, in the world. I'm in, I'm in Spain, you're in the US. It's a pleasure to be here and, and an absolute honor to be with you. I've heard so many great guests and I'm happy to, to be a part of that as well. This is wonderful. Well, then you know the drill better than most. We start with core values, Alan. What are your core values and how do they guide decisions? So I really enjoyed this process and and the exercise. I have to say that I've done this on a number of occasions for companies that I've worked with and, you know, work companies I've worked for and actually consulted uh, with as well. Mm -hmm. And surprisingly for me, I found it to be much harder to do this for my personal values because mm. a lot of people, I don't know about yourself, but you, yeah. you basically live with them and, and it's a part of who you are without taking time to stop and think about them. Yep. And so what, what I do, I'll fire them off rather quickly and then we can talk about them because I, yep. I thought I want to be at three, but I thought, well, okay, it's actually probably more like five. So my core values are first and foremost, I prioritize relationships. Okay. So the people in, in, in my life that matter most. Uh, secondly, I really, you talked about improv. I, I really believe in the concept of yes and, if you've yes. improv. And I kind of look at it for those listeners out there. Yes and is is basically changing the way you see things as opposed to saying uh, no but or using the word but. It's opening up the world of possibilities by just saying yes and. Yes, I love and, it. And I, I see that as openness and discovery. So uh-huh. that's how I would say as a value. I really yeah. value being open. Uh, to possibilities and discovering new things. Next, this is really probably one of my most important values, aside from people, but the idea of being a citizen of the world mm-hmm. has always mattered a lot to me. My my grandfather was born, one of my grandfathers was born on my, on my father's side, was born in the Czech Republic. 
mm-hmm. and moved to the U.S. when he was two, I guess. I don't know if he moved, but his family moved him. Yeah. <laughs> so much that he said, <laughs> I want to move. And so I've always been curious and it's been important to me to know what is happening in the world and where people come from. And it's really, you know, having traveled to over 50 countries now, it's clearly been an important thing for me. So being a citizen of the world is, yeah. is my third my, my third core value. My fourth is to to really to be present and more importantly, to enjoy the process. And so I'll talk about that a little bit more, but I, I saw it and I've been reading articles over the years and one that really stuck out to me about personal development. And mm-hmm. one that stuck out to me was from Brian Cranston. He talked about how his life and career changed as an actor. Mm-hmm. And his acting coach or mentor, I think it was, talked to him about enjoying the process and focusing on the process instead of the outcome. Yeah. And then things really changed in his life. And for me, I think it's about, you know, it's about being present and enjoying whatever it is that you're doing and enjoying the process, even if it kind of, even if it's not the most glorious or glamorous thing, you might have to do things that you don't like to get to where you want to be. And if you can enjoy that process, it really opens up your world a lot as well. Yeah. So that's kind of one of my, and then finally, my last one is you touched on it already, but it's, it's learning and to never stop learning. So mm-hmm. always be learning, never stop learning, however you want to phrase that. Yeah. And what puts you in Spain? Are you based in Spain now with your COO role? So I'm based in Spain for a number of reasons. Okay. And I can kind of talk through that a little bit for personally and then professionally. Mm-hmm. So from a personal standpoint, I really fell in love with Spain a number of years ago. I studied mm-hmm. abroad in Sevilla mm-hmm. and just picked up the language rather quickly. Not because I feel like I, it took me so long to even get even close to that in French. And we were talking years and years and years, and I never even got to the same level. So yeah. not yet, at least. So I just kind of had a strong affinity for Spain and the language and the culture. Mm-hmm. And that kind of caught me, basically changed the way I thought about my career choices and also where I want to live. Oh. And so I, I, after doing an MBA at Thunderbird, which is great for internationally minded and those yes. interested in international business. I, I realized in Chicago, I wasn't doing much with my international interest and degree. And, and so I took an opportunity to move to Paris. Mm-hmm. And, and from there, I just never looked back. So I've been, wow. living, I've been living in Europe ever since. And my wife and I had had our second child and decided for her career, it would be helpful for her to be in Spain uh, for a few, a few reasons. And also for me, and the family, having kids to be able to run around and learn another language. Yeah. So it's a little bit personal, a little bit professional. That's what brought us here to, mm-hmm. to where we are now. Yeah. So in the learning space, let's call it learning, education, constantly evolving, what, whatever buzzwords we want to put around it. Do you find that there are particular areas of learning that are more challenging for adult learners? Or do you find that it always just depends on the individual? It's very tailored. How, how should we, if we're staying fresh and relevant for the future we want to have, how should we be thinking about learning as an adult? The first thing that I, that I realize as, like I just started an international masterclass in L&D last week. Okay. So, and it's the first time I've done this, and it's a ten-month journey or you know ten-month program. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, with you as a student in it, at, or you as, as a, a teacher, as a student, as a student, yeah. okay. And for listeners, L and D is learning and development. Okay, okay. Great. So you yeah. as a student, uh, you're in a master class on learning and development. That's interesting. 
So I just, yeah, I did. I just, I made that decision earlier in the year. Uh-huh. I met uh, Nick Van Dam. He's the former chief learning officer of McKinsey. Wow. And he runs a joint program between IE in Madrid and Nienroda in the, in the Netherlands. Wow. And it's a great course or a great program with uh, 28, I think, uh, others that we have total. And, mm-hmm. and it's really challenging. So I, I realized that I wanted to continue to add value, not only to my own career, of course, but also yeah. anybody they work with, their customers that I'll have. And, uh, and so I th- thought that would be a great way to do it. Mm-hmm. And to, to build on the question that you had, I, what I'm realizing in this process is that I'm not a young learner anymore. I can, yeah. I, I can call myself a young learner anymore, but I am a learner as everybody is. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm finding it really interesting that there are many different ways that we're learning. So there are all kinds of different things that are being thrown at us. Mm-hmm. And we're listening to, to you know, obviously watching Zooms or webinars, reading the latest uh, um, in terms of books or reports and things like that. And then we're doing a project. So it's doing many different things to build your learning. So you're not just doing too much of one thing, I guess, is, mm-hmm. is what I'm realizing. It's, a, it's, a, it's having a positive experience. I am having a positive experience with it so far. But again, it's only been a week, so it's 10 months. Yeah, yeah. I'll have to interview you in like six months. And see how it's going. Yeah, yeah. yeah and see how but, it's going. But, but really different things. So multimodal learning um, is a term that's often used, but it's also mm-hmm. different. And now it's no, it's no longer classroom training because that's been eliminated. So the things that you're doing in the classroom, mm-hmm. finding ways to do that in other through other mechanisms is important. Yeah. It's interesting too, though. I was an English major, so I admittedly really like words. And I find when you use the word learning, it has a little bit more of a positive mindset around it than the word change. Sure. I I think when people hear change, they immediately go to a negative place. That's a gross generalization, but it's more often a negative place, more resistance to change. But learning is a little bit more positive because you think you're constantly evolving, et cetera. Uh, You seem to be. The way you walk through the universe is learning is just always a positive experience. Teach me more. Teach me more. Is that right? Yeah. The founder of the company they work for in Paris, Jean-Claude Larcher, a professor from INSEAD. He mm-hmm. studied at Stanford. He's really a, a wonderful, wonderful person with a great uh, story in his life as well. Mm-hmm. But he used to say to us, people want to change, but they don't want to be changed. Yeah. I remember him, I remember him telling it. So when you talk about the change process. Yeah. Everybody likes to go through change, but they mm-hmm. don't really want to for that to be imposed on them or be told to change. I, that kind of stuck with me as one of the things. Yeah. Um, and I think learning is a wonderful way to encourage people to change and to learn and to grow, especially if it's done the right way and through the right and through the right tools and the right people and the right content, the right initiatives. You have to do it in the right way, and then it becomes meaningful and it and it helpful. So what about the flip side of the person that might be forced to learn a new skill or forced to approach work a different way? Maybe it's because of a COVID impact. Maybe it's just an industry evolution. What in your experience has worked with somebody that might be approaching learning from a more negative, resistant perspective? In general, I would say sometimes when you need to learn something new and it doesn't come naturally, Normally, the feelings of frustration, this is something I used to say, it's normal to feel frustrated or mm-hmm. or discouraged. What's not normal is to stay frustrated and discouraged. So uh. 
if you can figure out a way to appreciate that, hey, like I'm frustrated, uh, I'm discouraged, and kind of recognize that. Yeah. And usually if you push hard enough or try hard enough or do different things, you'll kind of get past that. Or it could be a good telling signal that maybe what you're doing is you should do something else, right? Yeah, yeah. So that's why I say is if you really are pushing to learn something and then you're, re- you're not enjoying the process as Brian Cranston talked about, yeah, then maybe maybe you should be learning something else or doing something else. Um, if you have to do it, then you should think about what the ultimate goal is. So why am I doing this? And mm-hmm. uh, obviously that's kind of the opposite of the advice I just gave about focusing, not no focus on the outcome, but yeah. Well, I think it depends on how you define the outcome. You're, you're making me think about... Uh, I have this point of view that I, I jokingly call make straight C's. It's a play on make straight A's. Yeah. Right? And, yeah. and, the, and I, I was doing some reflecting on my own education history, which I was in school a lot and love school. I think I'd be in school the rest of my life if I could. And, but I looked at what was my history in school and I tended to take the classes and gravitate to the things where I knew I could make really good grades. Yeah. And so that didn't necessarily mean that I was really good and extra smart at everything. It meant that I went to the classes where I knew that I would do well, which means I probably didn't completely maximize my learning opportunity, right? And and go to the courses that scared me the most. So if my outcome had been uh, go explore new things, learn as much as you can, then that frustration would have been more welcoming, but my outcome was, well, I need an outward show that I did well in the class and that's always make an A. Yeah. So I don't know. I I see, I definitely hear what you're saying about the Cranston quote. It's, it's how you define the outcome. Yeah. I can tell you this though, the, the, the challenges that I've taken on in my career, Mm -hmm. the ones that really were the most fulfilling were the ones that I was scared. I was scared to do it. Yeah. And yeah, and it's because it's so easy to say no and it's so easy not to do, especially when there's a public facing element to it. Yeah. Like, like getting, yeah. getting thrown in to, to speak in front of an audience when you're not, when you're not quite ready for it, but you need to do it anyway. And mm-hmm. those are the kind of things that stretch you and you grow from that. Yeah. I tell you, I've, I, I have t- turned down challenges mm-hmm. and said, you know, I feel like I could have grown a lot more had I taken that one on. Um, oh, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. It's also interesting too, because you have this improvisational, you know, actor improv experience in the past. And a lot of people think improv is just easy for people who are good on their feet. When the actual opposite is totally true, improv people are trained and experienced and rehearsed. And it's only through that training that they look so in the moment and off the cuff and can handle anything that comes to them. Did you have that experience too? 100%. So the reason why I decided to take improv Mm -hmm. primarily was because a lot of what I was doing was, was speaking in, in public and speaking to groups and needing to be able to pivot and turn and react to what people say. And the first thing that they, that I learned once I took my first class was that you need, you can be trained to do these things. So you watch people do it and it looks so natural. And there are a lot of wonderful things like, yes, and is something I mentioned. Yeah. There are a lot of other things that you can take away from improv and then apply to your everyday life, whether it be at work or even at home. Yeah. Well, you had big, big guts to take an improv class to work on that because that's that's scary, risky to a lot of people. So 
I'll give you an A plus for that if you want an A. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thanks. Yeah. (laughs) So I I had a question in the back of my mind for you, uh, just, just knowing about the way you embrace learning and change. What have you learned in your life? It could be a topic or an experience, but what have you learned that you are the most proud of? There are a few times in my life where I've I've made decisions that kind of that cut against the grain a little bit. Mm-hmm. And so I, what I've learned is that it's important to embrace decisions that are difficult. Yeah. And and it's also important to embrace the impact of of important decisions. Mm-hmm. Okay? I mean that's what I've learned because I've made a few decisions in my life and when I look back had I not made those decisions, I wouldn't be where I am at. So where I'm living with, you know, having yeah. married kids and those sort of things and have, 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 have wonderful experience and great opportunities in my career. Mm-hmm. And, and one of those decisions was to stop playing football. Oh. And what I, what I learned was that because my life, my childhood dream was always to play professional football. Yeah. I knew that it was going to happen. It wasn't even a dream. It was a reality to me because I knew it was going to happen. Wow. And so I spent my entire youth focused on that goal. Mm-hmm. And I did everything I could to work towards that. Mm-hmm. And then it came to a crossroads where I realized that if I wanted to study abroad, uh. that it would impact my ability to continue playing football. Mm-hmm. And, and I chose to study abroad because I had these two things that I wanted in my life that kind of hit each other. You know, they were conflicting, right? Yeah. And, and that was a big decision for me because I learned another language and it, through my career into a completely different trajectory, giving up something. And I still, I still have dreams about not having quit, like stayed on the team and what would have happened. And yeah, but I, what I learned, I guess, from that is that it's important to embrace big decisions in your life and take them with confidence and, and enjoy, you know, what happens afterwards or wherever your life takes you. That's a beautiful answer. And I, th- I think you're just demonstrating th- these decisions are tough. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 And you are a complex human being. I would say everybody is. So yeah. I don't know if you, yeah. Yeah. You human beings are complex, yeah. and multifaceted and yeah. Mm-hmm. Alan, I know that you focus on and have a huge passion around redefining mentoring that's even in your LinkedIn profile. Tell us about that. How do you define mentoring and what do you mean by redefining mentoring? Well, what we mean and what I mean when we talk about redefining mentoring is that mm-hmm. there are a lot of different definitions of what a mentor is or what mm-hmm. a mentor can be. And so we look at redefining it as clearly understanding what mentorship means and what it can be. Yeah. And and for us, it's really about a mutually beneficial relationship. Mm-hmm. So both the mentor and the mentee benefit from the relationship that that leads to growth and development of the individual and also of organizations. So yeah. so it's important to to recognize those things that organizations can tap into and use mentoring as a as a mechanism for learning and growing and the individuals as well. And and I think what's often overlooked is that mentors usually and quite often and should be mentors from an altruistic point of view, wanting mm. to give and to help others without expecting to receive anything in return, except for enjoying and learning with their mentee, yeah. if I can say that. Yeah. Do you recommend that people have a certain number of mentors in their life or in certain areas? Is there any guidance on that or is it just different for every person? So we're 
we're building out different ways of looking at that, like different styles of mentors. Mm -hmm. So you can be kind of like an anchor mentor, somebody that's very supportive. Uh, You can be like a motivator style. So you really help to motivate, to coach and Mm -hmm. and to to encourage and to, to motivate, as I said. Yeah. And then there are other ones that could help as kind of a connector. So realizing that somebody's career might have stalled or they feel that it's their career, his or her career is stalled and they need help networking and, and connecting with others that can help to advance them. Yeah. So Alan, you know that in the Me Suite, we end with advice for listeners of what should we start doing differently on Monday? We balance the aspirational with the practical. What advice do you have for listeners start doing something differently on Monday, maybe in this learning mindset space? So without question, be a mentor and and Mm. have a mentor if you don't. And you should have both. And if you don't, then on Monday, reach out and try to find a mentor and open up and offer yourself to be a mentor to others. Love it. So Alan, thank you very much for bringing your COO experiences, your lifelong learning passion, your perspectives on mentoring, which is a hot topic for all of myself and listeners. I'm really, really thrilled to have had you in the Me Suite and have learned a lot. This is Alan Slavic, everyone. Donna, thank you so much for having me. I've really enjoyed it. And I absolutely love the podcast. I, every time I listen to it, I feel like I've grown a, a little bit taller. So <laughs> if I can That's say a it. wonderful way to put it. Thank <laughs> you so much. All right. Thanks a lot. And good luck going forward. Huh? Good night. Subscribe to the podcast and give us five stars if you like what you're hearing. And learn more about the MeSuite career coaching and professional development at themesuite.com. It's the-me-suite.com. Suite is spelled like executive suite. This is Donna Peters, and I thank you for having me in your ear right now. Find me on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter. The Me Suite, a source of power for the life-minded.